Oh, man, that freaked me out. All right, now we're recording. Okay. Uh, here we go. Liab Webb, welcome hey. to the Madness Continues podcast. Thank you for having me. It, did I said it right, didn't I? It's Ab- Abuav or is it Abuav? Abuav. Okay, my bad. I think. <laughs> I'll have uh, to check that. Uh, well, thanks for making some time and coming down here. Mm-hmm. I wa- I've wanted to have you. Let's, let me move this thing a little bit closer so we're not. There we go. I uh, wanted to have you on for a while. We'll just keep all this in. It's a real professional podcast. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot of gr- grousing and arrangement right at the beginning of it. <clears throat> Achoo. Tug it up, tug it up, tug it up. <laughs> meow, meow, meow. <laughs> test, 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 stickle. It is. So what everybody just missed is, Lee, once I put the, turn the thing on, it, and we have earbuds in, we have like headphones on, so it sounds, this audio voice you're getting is we're having this right in our ears. Yes. And it's kind of alarming when you haven't done it before right away. It's very bizarre because it feels like we're just whispering. <laughs> whispering right in your ear. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I used to have to do, when I was doing studying to be a sign language interpreter, they would make you watch TV and then say everything that was being said on TV like a couple seconds after they said it. And you had to keep doing it and practice doing it for like minutes at a time. Have you ever tried to do that? We d- I did that only one time. I had a, a French class and we tried to translate in real time and it's really weird. Yeah, because you hear yourself and then you get caught off guard because you're like, oh, my own voice. Oh, I'm listening to what I'm saying and not what they're saying. And now I don't know what they just said. And it's really good to practice. What is it? It's like using both sides of your brain at the same time. It's su- that's so weird. You are, your degree's in American Sign Language. It is. I feel like that's really impre- I feel like that's really impressive. That's why I got it. <laughs> I just needed to impress people. And then I threw it right into the garbage. So sometimes I feel like my life is just a, 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 like the entire strategy when I look back on it is how many things can I do that are just interesting to say to someone else at a, like a dinner party? Uh, I've gotten myself into a lot of trouble with that <laughs> where I'm just like, well, this will be a good story. No, 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 no. <laughs> Like when I hitchhiked with that biker club and I was like, this will be a good story. And then I'm on the bike and I was like, this is how you die. You hitchhiked with a biker, a biker, like a biker gang. No, there's a difference between biker gangs and biker clubs. I found out from the biker club. Okay. Got it. I don't remember what it is. Like a gang is higher. There's like a hierarchy. Okay. And a club is like, we're just all members. Yes. Okay. Got it. That feels like a not insignificant difference, but I think gangs are more murdery. <laughs> Clubs are small crimes. <laughs> gangs are felons. The term "gang" when you apply it to anything does sound like it's suddenly more like I joined. A, hey, I joined the um the Chicago curling gang. Yeah, we we take sixty pound stones and when we're not throwing them down the ice, we actually kill people and yeah. rob them. <laughs> <laughs> we hurl skulls down the ice. Dude, Just human heads. I'm glad you could make time to be here today. You're you're a busy uh, person. Yes, I am, and I'm so sorry. I know I've many times been like, ah, <laughs> I'm supposed to be a place. It's <laughs> fine, no worries. Uh, I would cancel on me too, probably. Oh, stop. Uh, what, do you you um you? I feel like you have so much going on. Like you have, you run a lot of shows, and you, you like you you open for a lot of people. We talked. I mean, this is uh, months ago now, but. You just out of nowhere jumped up to open for a feature for Cameron Esposito, who's doing a show. Yeah, I featured for Cameron. Cameron came and did a couple shows in Chicago at the Den Theater and had a bunch of different 
features and I featured for her then. And then she was in Bloomington, Illinois, and she messaged me and asked if I could come out and feature for her there um, this last tour. And so I got to do that, which was super dope. Shout out to Cameron. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. She I've listens been, to this pod. I'm sure she does. For sure. She listens to every podcast. That's <laughs> how she's so smart. Uh, I, yeah, she, I'm sure she was somewhere, her, her and her wife listen to this podcast. I'll send it to her. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just text her. Text her. Hey, here's, in case you want to, in case you don't have any paint to watch dry. <laughs> we, listen we, to we, me. <laughs> talk about, uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I've just been, I've been producing a lot. I work a full-time job. I work side jobs. I'm in a relationship it's just like everything is work dude yeah I, I feel like when this is that's the barrier to entry into comedy in chicago it feels like it's like if you don't have if your schedule isn't bursting at the seams like i don't then know you have a trust fund good for yeah. you <laughs> happy holidays i love looking at facebook and seeing whose parents are rich and i'm like oh i get it that's yeah. why you're not tired i see now do you ever want to let me ask you this do you ever want to become a normal person do you no. ever feel jealous of normal people never in my life have, really I've always been a weirdo. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could believe that, I guess, but Thank you. Uh, I I mean that in a good way, but no, I, I, know. <laughs> I I I think that I've I, I, I sometimes and not too often, but sometimes like when I go home for like the holidays or I see like my sister, like my sister lives in this town in Hillsdale, Michigan, which is one of the it's one of the most conservative cities in the United States. Mm. And my sister's not a particularly like ideologically conservative person, but she's like a personally conservative person. Like it's strange to to make that distinction, but she I she feel doesn't like that's a very Midwest thing. Yeah, like she Where we're liberal but also Yeah. Like she how do I want to describe it? Like she has no political agenda to try to be like any kind of you know, like uh, what you would think of as a conservative person, mm -hmm. but she's just kind of like, look, I just don't want to talk to anybody else. <laughs> like, I just want to sit in my own house and talk to my one friend at a coffee house. Like, that's the only thing she wants to do. I mean, that I get. <laughs> <laughs> Not interacting with people. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but... No, but I mean, like where I'm going with this is like she's so she's like pregnant and her husband, they came out to the family Christmas and uh, they just have normal lives. Like, they're just normal people. They get up. They go to work. They come home. They, they like. They maybe go to the gym. They, like, they have a house. They have a really nice house in this, like, tiny Midwestern town that has a college. It's like a college town, but it's like a very conservative college. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes I think, like, uh, there's a part of me that's like, wouldn't it be nice to not either have or be missing the part of me that would appreciate that does that make any sense yeah like it would be easier to actually do that oh yeah but i do have that thought like sometimes i think man it would be so nice if i was like a simpler person who just wanted to like get married and have babies and because that's so easy to do and then you could just post about it on instagram and facebook and then no one and everyone would unfollow me and <laughs> no you would that's the thing is you would be friends with the same group of people you knew in high school and college Mm -hmm. And you guys would do things like once a, every three months you'd get together and go out with your friends and, and then you'd all drink. Would, and all we would talk about is our own children. I feel I mean, I'm not slamming people to do that. Good for you. Like it's to each their own. The only time I ever feel like like sometimes I wish I was a simpler person. Yes. But that's because it's complicated in here and I have to deal with what's going on in here. And I'm pointing to my brain for all you podcast listeners. Uh, <laughs> all four of you. She's at least pointing to her brain. I'm pointing to my brain. And 
the only time I feel bad about living my life the way I'm living it now is when other people like kind of make me feel bad about it. Like I like what I'm doing now. Sure. I like not having Who makes house. you feel bad about it? It's like that thing where like people will be like, what is your plan? Do you want to have a house someday? And I'm like, no. And then they kind of look at you funny. Like and I'm what? Like, yeah. Like what? Why? Well, why do you think? That's so sad. Why do you think? It's sad for you. <laughs> and I'm like, is it sad? And then I start second guessing myself. And then I'm like, oh man, maybe I should have a house. But that's not. Then you got to check back in and be like, I don't want that. Well, do you want to... All right, so this is something I go back and forth with, with my girlfriend a lot because she doesn't want to ever... She's like, I don't want to ever own a house. I don't want to ever own property. And I'm like, do you really want to not... Is it like, I don't want to own it or I just don't... That's not important to me. I don't care. I think the second one. I mean, I would... I like the idea of gaining value on a house as a, like an investment, sure. But I think there's some kind of level of commitment there where it's like the idea of you buy a house and that is your home. And I don't like... The idea of home. You don't want like to have a home. Just be free forever. Yeah, you just want to float. Yes. Forever. <laughs> I feel like I, I don't know. I go back and forth on this idea because I think like I might really enjoy having like a a home. Like I don't think I'd want to live in the same place for like more than a few years to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even think I'm coming up on four years in Chicago and I'm like I think this might be it for me. Like, I don't know if I want it. I don't, I can't, if I th- think to myself, oh, I've been here four or five years, that feels like I've been here too long. Like, I've done everything that needs to be done here. Oh, yeah. And if I haven't, then I'm not going to do it anyway. Yeah, like, we talked about that. You're thinking about yeah, shipping out. Shipping out, heading out to, to the to the New Yorks, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Gloria is pretty dead set on trying to get me to move back to Colorado with her or something, so... I could see that too. She's putting a real. She's put. She's it's a full court press, on her end. Yeah. And we'll see what ends up happening. I guess this is still slightly up in the air. It's funny because I I've only lived in Chicago and then the suburbs that I grew up in, the suburbs of Chicago. And which suburb? Well, technically it's Lake County, so it's not a suburb of Chicago. It's Mundelein. But let's not talk about that because I don't like giving them any credit. Uh, Mundelein. <laughs> I've literally. I've never heard of that. That's good. Good for you. <laughs> How lucky for you. Um, <laughs> you don't feel like a suburb kid to me at all. No, I was dying to get out of there. Yeah. I was not happy there. It feels like like if somebody was like, oh, yeah, Lee Lee grew up in you know the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I'd be like, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, I just always, it was very much a feeling of, again, I've, I've always been that weirdo. I never wanted that type of life. And so to be like trapped there because you're a kid is, was a very tricky thing for me. I hated the suburbs. Yeah. Did you grow up in a suburb? I, f- I grew up in a suburb of Detroit. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I just did a show in Detroit. Wait, which one? We took Strip Joker to... Oh, I'm not going to remember the name of the bar. But some bar in Detroit. In Detroit, Detroit. It was... What's the like neighboring... Now I got to look it up. Dearborn, uh, Sterling Heights, Mount Clemens. Uh, you, you probably also maybe Royal Oak, uh, Ferndale uh just run. yeah definitely one of those yeah <laughs> it's gotta be one of those <laughs> do you remember where where it was relative to the city like northeast uh, i know west. we had to drive through canada to get to it all right you, no you didn't did it you it was like we had to go up and around okay, if, well, if you had to go in canada then you were definitely in canada uh i'm looking unless you were coming like back from new york or something so oh trixie's bar i don't know 
Never, I don't know about Hamtrack. Oh, Hamtramck. Hamtramck. Yeah. <laughs> Hamtrack. <laughs> you know, hamster track. Hamtrack. That just sounds like a... Yeah. Planet Ant is over in Hamtramck. I've done comedy there. That's where um, Keegan-Michael Key... Uh, from, came up? Yeah, came up. That's dope. Every once in a while, he'll drop in, and I'll have like friends who will be like, Keegan-Michael Key came through again, and then they'll have like, fo- you know, take photos with him and stuff, which is like, that's their big claim to fame. Yeah, and you're like, big deal. I've seen Hannibal Burris seven times. I never, I've never seen him. Are you kidding? No, I fucking, I'm never there. He when came he to shows Tuxedo up. Cat. Did he? Which I produced. Hello, shout out to Tuxedo Cat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he came through to Tuxedo Cat. He's at Chuck all the time. I never, I'm never there when he's there. Ugh. I mean, in the last year, I've barely been out. I feel like most people in Chicago have no fucking idea who I am anymore. Uh, if they ever did, but like I don't. Yeah, I haven't seen you on the scene. Yeah, I haven't been doing very much. Like I, I kind of got back from Edinburgh and um, just was like, yeah, I just don't see a future for me in this scene. Like, which was demotivating to of a, a thought to have. Yeah. So uh, I just don't. I don't know. It's like a. It just kind of felt like I just don't see where this is going for me here. Yeah, I hear that. And like so. Uh, I don't really the scene the Chicago scene is also strange I mean like this is kind of the underlying theme of maybe every Chicago comedian podcast but like it's you know let's just devolve into talking total inside baseball like about the scene but it's like the Chicago comedy scene uh and and people who listen to the pod I have a handful of subscribers will understand that this is like a common touchstone but like they, it has their the scene has their favorites, mm-hmm. and I just don't feel like I've ever been one. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not gonna be one, so I'm not one now, and I'm probably not going to be. And I don't really want to take the effort to try to be. Mm-hmm. So I was like, because of all those three things, I don't really see myself progressing, particularly here. Plus, it's like all the things I did with comedy and I do with comedy, none of them have come through the Chicago scene. Like I've never been booked out of nowhere. Like I've never been. I've either asked for shows or. It's people I knew who were producing, and then they were like, oh, yeah, well, you should come on and do this. Or I've gone out of my way to try to produce a show or get something going that I end up doing comedy on. So I guess all those reasons kind of coming back from Edinburgh. And that was like a year and some change ago, so I was like kind of, you know, checked out after that. And then I was we've been working on this TV project for the last year or so. Yes, and that's exciting. That's, I think it's – Yeah. you got to just – I was talking to someone about this where I think it was Carly Bellarini where it's this weird feeling of there's a lot of second guessing in I'm sure in everything, but in comedy specifically, I feel like there's so much, there's not a lot of return. Like you're putting in the effort and you, maybe you book a big gig. Like I did a feature spot for someone who I think is like a famous person. Um, And then you come back from something like that and you do, a show for six people in a shitty bar and you yep. bomb. And it's like, yep. what is, am I progressing? Am I, we are, are what things the moving fu- forward? Yeah, where, where, what is going on here? Is yeah. it like, it's hard to see like end goals. It's hard to see if you're getting better or if things are moving forward in your career. Um, And it's this weird thing where you kind of just have to trust that things are happening and you just keep going and see where it leads you and i feel like for you it led you to this new project this like tv project and then you just keep rolling with that yeah well we'll see if if for what happens with that i had a every once in a while i have this terrifying like <laughs> if i was religious like come to jesus moment maybe where i was in the i was just it's one of those like shower thoughts where i got done at the gym and i was in the shower and then suddenly i had this thought where i was like all my projects could not work out 
(laughs) I mean, yeah. But then it's another, it's the, oh my God. It's the, then something else will pop up and then you'll just follow that instead. (laughs) It goes on forever. I know, right? And like, and maybe one of them will make money one day. I don't know. What if they all work out? (laughs) Yeah. What if every one of them worked out? And then you're going to be real tired. Oh God. I would, I would kill for that kind of tired. Uh, It'd be fantastic. I mean, that's what I just too many wheels spinning. But what are um? Well, let me back up though because uh, I've known you for a while, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I've always liked you, and I've liked your comedy. You're like very personable. I feel like you're very funny on stage. Thank you. And you have a you have a real presence that I think draws the crowd in, which is which is great. When did you want to get into comedy? Um, I always loved comedy, and then it was. I took this uh, birthright trip to Israel, and on the trip, there was someone that did comedy, and everyone kept confusing me for her. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should do comedy. They think I'm funny. Specifically, there was like, you know, there's like that group of like So like, was she on? She was also on the trip? Yes, she was on the trip. She did improv, and she was very funny, but people kept calling me by her name because they thought I was the comedian. And I thought maybe I'll take a class because you were funny, and they thought that that's yes. Pretty, okay, got it. And then they were saying like, "Well, you should you should do comedy," and it's not like I hadn't thought about it before, but that was like kind of an affirming moment. And then another affirming moment on that trip was that there was like definitely that group of Japs, like the Jewish American princesses, yep, that were like the mean girls, and that were just like, "Oh my God, this hotel is disgusting." Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. yeah. And one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What is the end goal of those women? I feel like what is the like oh, what is the I don't know. I've never fit in with them. <laughs> I remember being at Hebrew school just like all gothed out and being like, Hey <laughs> They probably didn't even know how to handle they you. They didn't. They were just like, You're weird <laughs> Which is what this woman said to me on the trip. She was like, When I first saw you I thought, Oh my god, that person is so weird and you were always talking to yourself and then I would listen to what you were saying and you were just like making and you're hilarious. You're making jokes under your breath about everyone and it's so funny and I was like, Ooh, you can hear me? I'm not very nice. <laughs> Just just burning these 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 chicks around you. Yeah, and the dudes. <laughs> oh man, I <laughs> and the dudes. Everyone. Yeah. Well, my burns are non-gender specific. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no one's safe. <laughs> equal opportunity burner. Oh my god, I thought you were so weird, but you're actually really funny. And I was like, oh my god, thank you so much. Well, get away from me. <laughs> I just want that like on my tombstone. <laughs> First I thought thought was so, so weird. weird. Actually, very Kinda funny. Turned out funny. <laughs> That's my brand. I just can't. When was this? Uh, a long time ago. It was like I was twenty. I want to say twenty-five or twenty-six. And then I came back and kind of sat on it for a while. I watched. I always watched a lot of comedy, but then I like watched even more comedy more frequently. And then I thought I'd take a class. I took a femcom class. And just went from there. Was it? That wasn't the, was it the, there was a class for, maybe it's still going on, but there was a class for a while that was like a women in comedy, women getting into comedy, like class that I think was taught at like Lincoln Lodge. Lodge. Yeah. Because Cameron Esposito actually started it. um, And it was, it basically just taught you how to, like how to write jokes, like the general idea of like joke patterns how to get inspired, like writing exercises. And then the important thing that it taught me was that you need to have a tight five and you take them to open mics. And it like, by the end of the class, you had a tight five Mm. 
in, that you could take to an open mic. Got it. And I think that there are a lot of people that go into open mics and think like, I'm funny, but they haven't written anything. They haven't done anything. Yes. And you've been sitting in a mic and seen that go down. And oh, yeah. It's like, this is so painful and yeah. you're wasting my time. Yeah. When you're waiting <laughs> for your five minute spot and you have new stuff you have to work out. And yeah. you're like, you are. You're like, I wrote these fucking jokes. I've been working on them all week. I've been waiting for an I hour. I have a show in two days. Yes. And your ass is just up there talking. Yeah. <laughs> talking about nothing um yeah so it's dating's like, weird yeah oh i can't uh i was drunk the other day anybody here smoke weed <laughs> that's the cheapest <laughs> there was a guy once i remember when i first moved to chicago in like 2014 i went to the laugh factory with this girl i was dating at the time and the guy because she was like you do comedy like i d- no one had seen me do comedy but i told them i did comedy and i had some like clips online and stuff and so she was like you should do we'll go to the laugh factory because i'd never been there and go to the laugh factory and this comic gets up and it's the first comic it was like the friday night like best like best of chicago stand-up and this guy gets up on stage and the first thing he says he's like make some noise if you like pizza and I was like, fuck this. I was so, I was immediately like, fuck this guy. Fuck this oh whole show. God. Like, it, it made me so mad. Make some noise if you like pizza. I've never seen that guy again. I don't know what happened to him or if he's like still around or what. But uh, Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Jesus. Hopefully but not. I remember Dave Hellum was on that show that night. And like that, and even there, he was like, and even, th- I mean, 2014 and it was like June of like 2014, just just demolishing. Oh yeah, and just all I mean, and he was talking about being whatever job he was doing at the time. I think, and he was like substitute math teaching or something, and mm. just was hilarious. Yeah, I, I saw him. I was on. I don't remember if I was on it or not. Was I on it? I think I was on it. It was uh, the first time I did Chicago underground comedy, and he came through. He wasn't on the lineup, but he just came through because he had some new stuff he wanted to work out. Yeah, and just to watch someone who is so comfortable sitting and talking and knowing that eventually it'll get to a funny place. Yeah. And it not being funny yeah, at the time until it yeah. gets to the end and you're like, Oh, he figured out how to make it funny by sitting on stage and just doing it. That's and just, insane. And just staying in the cut. Yeah. It's the same thing as it's funny. Cause it reminds me so much of, um, the feeling reminds me so much of when I used to do mixed martial arts, you, the only way to learn how to fight is you got to hang out in the cut and you're going to take hits because that's where you get punched. That's the only place that you can punch from and you're going to get hit. Yeah. And it's weird because people who are afraid to hang out in that space just didn't get as good as quickly. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me of that. It's like, yeah, you hang out on stage. So it's kind of weird because we were just talking about these open micers get up and like just are not knowing what they're doing and don't have anything. I, I kind of don't begrudge somebody for being like for getting up and doing it. Oh, I do. And and screwing up. And the only thing that I don't like is if somebody gets up there and doesn't have anything, period, yes. and then hangs out. And I'm like, if you're up there and you're not funny and you're trying to do something, I, that's fine. Oh, yeah. I don't have any issue with people like trying to figure out how to do it. That's what open mics are for, for a lot of people. Yeah. But the people that get up and don't have anything and haven't written anything down and haven't written any jokes and think like, I'll just take five minutes and get on a microphone and talk to people. I'm like, you're wasting everybody's time and this is not funny. And then the thing that bothers me is that that's not waiting in the cut. That's not giving a shit. Yeah. And it like spits <laughs> in my face because I really give a shit. And yeah. it spits in the audience's face because it's like, you have not, are not bringing anything to the table. I get so mad about it. Ooh, my ears are getting hot. <laughs> Open mics are so hard. 
to sit through and it's just like why would you get up and not have anything there's this whole group of comics that have come in in the last year and some change and i don't know any of them i went to the laugh factory holiday party yeah and i was like i know maybe a dozen people here i didn't go i didn't go this year it was so it was very strange for me because i was like i just don't know a ton of these people like have no idea who they are like not nothing because they're young yeah they're just young people young yeah that's what the, that's the other weird thing is like in terms of talking about like settling down in comedy and stuff is it's like I'm like going to be 33 in two months. And part of me is like, Jesus, my dad had a three year old when he was my age. <laughs> yeah, but his, don't base it on that. <laughs> Look at the econo- economy back then. <laughs> I know, right? I and just, they didn't have the Internet. They I don't had even nothing think, else to do. I know, right? I don't think he would have been employed if he uh, if he came up in this economy. I'm saying. It's so weird to the, I just and we're entering a recession too. These fucking can I I somebody at work's gonna listen to this. I'm gonna be called into my boss's office. But I hire all of these I have a team of like eleven people who mm-hmm. like report to me at, at my day job and they're all uh like to, in their like early twenties mostly to like this is like their first or second job and most of them are in like their early to like mid twenties. And so much of the time it's so weird to to admit this, but like I'm so jealous of them, like in this, and with this angry, like I graduated in 2008, mm-hmm. like 2008, 2009, in Detroit, in like the worst economy Ugh. since the Great Depression, and you fucking kids get out of school and just get a job, just got, just That's, whatever. We just got so screwed, and people are not willing to acknowledge it. It's completely bizarre. Or for them to say to you, I remember when I was in college, my uncle kept being like, you're so lucky you're in school right now. And I was like, really? Because when I get out of school, there's going to be nothing <laughs> My degree's me. in American Sign Language. And Uncle I, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're saying that humanities will be flourishing by the time I get out of school? Great. That sounds like a reality. That's not usually the first thing to go in a recession. Uh, <laughs> this, this hot, <laughs> growing American Sign Language market. Yeah. We're just going to throw money into the disabilities. That's what the government says. What uh, did you do? So what did you do after you graduated? Where did you go to school? I went to Columbia College in downtown Chicago. They were one of the only schools that had a four-year interpreting program. So I went there. So why did you choose uh, ASL? I just loved it. I had a class. I had two. It was like ASL 1 and 2 in high school, and I was really lucky to have it because then they got rid of it the next year. It was like the first two years they had it, I was in it, and then they got rid of it after that and that's the only thing I wanted to do or the only thing I could justify going to college for because I thought about doing performance and stuff and I was like I could just do performance I don't need to get a degree in it yeah I should have a like something that pays the bills (laughs) and I thought that was gonna be it uh (laughs) that's the other funny thing about our generation is I feel like the generation after us went into college knowing like I need to get a degree that's marketable yeah. so that I can get a job yeah. where we were still in that generation of like, do whatever you want. Live just, your dreams. Just get a college degree. Get Live a college degree in theater and you'll be fine. I remember I, uh, I, I only ever heard one time I was living in Western Michigan. I was b- functionally kind of homeless to, and it's a long story. People who listen to the podcast have sort of heard it already, but I, um, was like unemployed for a long time. I had worked at a just for I, we've never talked about this. So I'll let you know. Like I had worked at a startup that I had put a lot of my own money into, mm-hmm. and then stopped paying because it had no cash flow, and I didn't get paid for like three or four months, and so just had no money, and basically was staying with friends, and then ended up staying. And my parents have owned a house in Western Michigan that they bought. They were going to retire into, but they hadn't retired yet, 
And so through the winter, the previous year, a pipe had burst and it had cost them a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So they were like, why don't you just stay in the house and watch it? And so that's what I was doing. And I couldn't get a job. Nobody was hiring. Mm -hmm. And I finally, there was a, one of actually, this is for real, the best Midwestern um, drug rehab like clinics Mm -hmm. is in the town of Manistee, Michigan. And it's called The Best Clinic. Like, or the best rehab is the actual name of the place. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> so, Who was doing their marketing? I know, right? And, uh, like, un- unless maybe it was named after some guy named Leonard Best or something. Like, <laughs> I don't have, I have no idea. So I go on this, like, interview there. And they take me around, like, the whole clinic and, like, show me everything. And I just was immediately, like, within the first five minutes, I was like, I'm not fucked. This is the worst place to be. This is, like no good like p- good people should not be here like this is just a bad whole atmosphere um but i was so curious because i'd never been i mean like i've never been to a rehab place i don't know what these places are like so i was like yeah show me the whole place like i'll go take a look but i knew for definitely sure that it was not a place for me to be because i sat down in the manager's office and she's like w-, the first thing she said to me is she's like so you have a college degree so you can do just about anything and i oh, was like God. oh boy <laughs> You, lady you've been here so long you're detached from reality <laughs> yeah you, have a you college. could do anything you could do just fly my little bird i know right i'm like my degree's in philosophy okay <laughs> like <laughs> i can be a barista and that's pretty much it because i was thinking i was thinking about taking asl but i was like i should probably get something more marketable so let me go to t- take philosophy <laughs> i mean it gave me a great 10 minutes being a sign language interpreter so there's that that's true it's very fire <laughs> i've seen it <laughs> I'm a monster. I'm a monster. That's my takeaway. <laughs> Four years of college. No big deal. <sighs> I could go back to it, though. It is like a whatever. So, okay. So you chose to do ASL. Mm-hmm. And what did you even do? How did you, like, I'm curious after college. I'm snotting. Yeah. Can you hand me one of those tissues? Yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. We'll just uh, yes, yes, keep travel. all this in the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Man. Sorry, everybody. There's just some some other technical issues going on with this equipment. With I'm my using. nose. Oh. There we go. Look, uh, I messed you all up. I'll just keep this all in. People will be listening to the L. <laughs> <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Uh, I forgot the question. No, oh, I was just. What's the? So, how did you get employed after college? Oh, um. Well, this is another thing that was funny. Is that. Uh, when I was graduating college is when Illinois decided to get rid of the licensure test that would make me capable of getting a job because the test itself was like very, it was wonky and they didn't like it. So they, I won't get into the details, but like they decided to get rid of it and then they had no follow-up tests. They had so, so they literally eliminated the market. Yes. So it was like, <laughs> I was at, I remember being at a conference, the, the big interpreter conference of Illinois. And I raised my hand and I was like, how are we supposed to get jobs when we graduate? And they're like, they basically were just like, that's not our problem. There's definitely like a big (laughs) divide between the younger generation of interpreters who are getting degrees in interpreting. And then the old school interpreters who just did it the hard way of like going to deaf events and meeting deaf people and learning the language that way. Wow. Yeah. There's like a, what I just, there's some kind of weird intergenerational, like there's definitely some kind of animosity or some kind of thing like i don't know what it is but it feels very much like the baby boomers hate us yeah fucking hate us and just don't want us to succeed 
like I don't know what it is like, but but it's absolutely like it's the it is undoubtedly the most selfish generation of people. Oh yeah, and in the most privileged, they entered a job market where there were more jobs than there were people. It's like, what is that like? Even? I can't. I can't even. I legitimately can't imagine it. Um, but they got rid of the test and they got a new test, and there wasn't really any studying materials for it. And so I went in and took the test. Did not do super well. I did well enough on other tests like the EIPA to be able to get jobs. And I took these random jobs with a red license, which is like your entry license. And I did that for about mm, almost two years. Yeah, I did it for two years, but I was still nannying on top of that. And then my, all of my parents lost their jobs. Like my stepdad, my mom, my dad, all lost their jobs during the recession. Holy shit. And so I kind of was like, okay, I need to like be making money regularly. They didn't put any pressure on me, but it was like, I don't have any safety net. I got to start making money. Yeah. I, it's, I feel very similarly. It's strange because, uh, especially now more so because like my parents, my grandparents are getting very old and my parents are taking care of them a Mm -hmm. lot. And I mean like my parents are doing a great job taking care of their own parents like my mother is what had a whole career as a nurse mm-hmm. and now is and a hospice nurse at that an end of life care nurse and now takes care of my very very elderly grandparents who are in their 80s and my great or my grandfather's about to be 90 um turns 89 this coming year and uh then my dad's dad same thing and they're they're just doing a great job and so th- this hit me recently where I was like fuck I have to make a lot of money because I got to take care of my parents when yeah. they get older like it's madness to think about. Thank God my brother's a marketing person in San Francisco and we could just let it fall on him. <laughs> <laughs> That's my plan. I mean, my dad was like, don't let me get old. Just take me out back and shoot me. And I was like, deal. I will. Because I, I no, can't I afford see where you got your sense of humor. from. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's so true. Actually. <laughs> my dad and I are very much into the similar comedy. I actually got him the, have you read the Steve Martin book? Born Standing Up. Born Standing Up. Yep. Yeah. I got him that for Christmas, Hanukkah. Christmas, Hanukkah. Now, did you guys, you guys are very active Jews or not very active <coughs> Jews? My dad's an atheist, but he was, he's 100% Jewish. My mom's 100% Jewish. Like, what's it called? Genetically? Yeah. I mean, they're what, the 23andMe says they're 100% Ashkenazi or something? Which is so weird because, like, if it's technically a religion, why does it come up in genetics? It's also an ethnic group of people. It's very weird, that's right? That's what I've heard, but it's very. I feel like that's uh, it's the only one that that occurs with, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like people can be ethnically Jewish and also religiously Jewish, but then there are people who are religiously Jewish who are not ethnically Jewish. Yes, and then the opposite. Yeah, right. I feel I. It's very strange. The important thing to remember is that no one likes them. <laughs> <laughs> Marina Calm and I. Yeah, from <laughs> you and my grandfather both. It's like. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's like, ha, ha, ha. But also, it's true. My stepdad used to say there's two types of people there's Jews and Jew haters. <laughs> there's Jews and Jew haters. Or what is it? Rebecca Foss is like, I'm Jewish, so I'm white. I'm a white person, but I'm like the white person that white people hate. Yeah, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. People, it's, people used to be that way about the Irish, I guess. Or Italians, maybe. Yes, which is so... I think people used to be that way about everything. I mean, like, yeah. I, just, I, I, I get the feeling people used to be that way about everything. <laughs> Ugh. 
it's very my grandfather he's like a he's a very nice guy he's so weird because he and i will leave this ambiguous uh so nobody knows exactly which grandfather i'm talking about but he's so strange because he he's by action been the nicest guy to everybody like just didn't discriminate in terms of helping somebody like but he would say some of the most like like fucking you're like grandpa it, you can't say that shit oh my god like and it would be things like that he'd be like i don't trust those people as far as i can throw them and i'm like what are you talking about like you you picked up someone who you thought needed a ride the other day and like drove them to the next town and you'd say this shit that's the thing about racists they are sneaky <laughs> you never know i used to have this bit years ago where i would say um the thing about yeah it was, it was that exact premise i was like the thing about uh, white supremacists is that they're they they look just like you and me, but they and they say very similar things, but with slight differences. So I might say, "Hey, it's a great day. Uh, it's a great day today." But they'd say, "It's a great day today for a white man." <laughs> no, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, that it's was... a great day to be me, <laughs> just like every other day. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so anyway, I don't tell that joke anymore for obvious reasons. I think it's funny. I just had. Uh, Anji Kim was just on Tuxedo Cat on Thursday and she told a joke where she's like I gave a racist a blowjob and everyone in the audience was like <gasps> and in my head I was like so have you so has everybody because you don't know I am <laughs> guarantee that you have and you just didn't know it <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> it's true we've all probably slept with a racist and we just didn't even know and some of us probably did know and then bad how rude of you. <laughs> right. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, man. What a weird... I. This is the... Here's the thing that's strange to me, too. I, you and I have talked about this slightly before, I think, a long time ago. But it's like, mm-hmm. I think that we live in a very unique time because uh, the world has, by many metrics, never been better in the sense that, like, less violence, like, actually less institutional things that have been, you know... Uh, getting in the way of people progressing and living their lives in the way that they want to. Mm-hmm. And lots of, I think in many different, by many different metrics, more social equality, but at the same time, it's n- never felt more divided and it's never felt more like I can't in my adult life or in my whole life. Really? I can't think of another time in which the actual racist segment of American society has ever been present. Mm-hmm. And now it is. And I feel like that's very weird. I think it's always been present, but we have the technology to be shoving it in our face all the time. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always talk about that where it's like, it is hard to remember that we're still in a better time now than we ever have been in a lot of ways. It's hard to say that like during this administration, but just like as a whole society. I feel like this is, st- I still feel like I might wake up one day and then, like, it's like, hey, turns out it was just a big dream. It was a joke the whole time. Yeah, it was just a big, weird, uh, it's a three-year-long performance art piece. Yes, that like, will happen to you when you die. <laughs> <laughs> this was all a joke. None of it mattered. Don't forget. Also, goodbye forever. <laughs> uh, sometimes I do that to keep myself sane. I'm just like, this is just the Matrix. It doesn't make this any doesn't fucking, even it doesn't exist. make any fucking sense. It this feels like we a simulation that I'm having in my head. It feels like we've rebounded into some kind of strange like black is white up is down there is no like there's no floor like the floor is lava mm-hmm. like it just it feels like it's equally as bizarre as this like fucking world we're living in can you imagine you're a 
middle schooler and you open up a history book and it has every president's face and then you see Donald Trump's face. Ugh, that's so gross. <laughs> I can't believe that's going to be a thing. Oh, man, it's it's so fucked up. I mean, I can't believe he's still president. Like, I think that there just seems like there's so it's so insane. And like, I have members of my family like love him. Mm-hmm. My dad voted for him and my dad regrets it. Like my my dad now is like I made a big mistake that was really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like I think that he got caught in this strange trap, and I think admittedly there's a lot of people who also got caught in this trap, which is like they were like I don't I know I don't like Hillary Clinton for these reasons, mm-hmm. and I know I don't like Donald Trump, but only for like this kind of reason. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they were they were weighing this kind of thing next to each other, so it was almost like. The problem is that the, you know, there's that saying the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, well, the devil I know I don't like at all for X, Y, Z reasons. But the devil I don't know, it's like maybe could be okay. Mm-hmm. And then like, nope, turned out it's a horrible, horrible, terrible thing. I don't think any of that's applicable to what happened. Because <laughs> we always knew he was a rapist. And we always knew he said all these horrible things about homosexuality I mean, good, good and women and... Which is why, so... And it's like, and in my mind, people say that. They're just like, well, I didn't know you did. And you didn't care. And that's fine. But don't pretend like we can't see that shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's, Mm. I I can't, I cannot, first of all, I can't forgive and forget. Yeah. When it comes to people being like, I voted and now I regret it. And it's like, do you regret it? Because you put a, a lot of people's lives in danger. Just because you thought that they were the lesser of two evils. And what did you base that off of? Because you don't think a rapist is bad? Like Hillary Clinton did some horrible things for sure. Yeah. And was a terrible person in a lot of ways for sure. But I would never vote for a rapist. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's weird to me also because it's like that you can't un... Every once in a while I remember the Billy Bush like tape from E or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that fucking happened. That, like we didn't dream that it didn't that wasn't a, an imagination that was like a real thing that actually happened right and that dude's got his the nuclear button is like like feet from him at people, any given time it's just so sad that it's sad to know that people don't care about that it's weird anyways we got to change the subject I yeah don't talk about this. <laughs> yeah, sorry sorry for walking down that <laughs> sorry for walking down that dark Ooh. trail but what were we talking about oh i think it's just that it's like I was watching Ellen DeGeneres' old special and she talks about CNN when CNN was like a brand new thing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, it's news all day long. You can get the news all day. It used to be that you would open the newspaper, you would have your 30 minutes where you would find out about what's happening in the world and then you would go about your day. Yeah, And, and you she's could, like, now you, you can know you, about things all the time it's coming at you. Yeah. And I was laughing because I was like, you thought CNN was bad? <laughs> I can't open my phone. Yeah. I can't do shit without hearing all the bad things that are happening all the time. Yeah, and and I think s- that they were always happening like that, but we just didn't know it. There was just no access to that information constantly. And then not only that, but like spun in a complete in like a completely ridiculous way. Like somebody recently shared on uh, Facebook a screenshot from like Breitbart, mm-hmm. and I was like, Jesus Christ, man! It's like if there's one website that tries to position things in like the absolute most, you know, how can I put this in a way that shows conservatives that they're victims of some greater scheme? It's just this. It's completely weird mm-hmm. to exist in that world. I think that's part of the reason. It's funny because th- I, this goes back slightly to what we were talking about with stand-up, where it's like you can never know 
kind of where you're at because you're like, oh, I can feature for, you know, like I did the hour in Edinburgh for a month and then I came back and I did all these shows and I opened for like Dave Landau, who's got a huge radio program and Mm -hmm. was, you know, doing all this road work with with really awesome comics who I'd like like and listen to and then go come back and bomb at an open mic bomb at a show here. Yeah. It's same it's almost the same in the sense that it's like you can't get any grasp on anything because every bit of information is like coming at you so quick mm-hmm. and in so many ways that there's just nothing to It's kind of weird actually because I think that like it's strange it's strange time to be a comic because I you know I I've been doing this for like 16 years and then I had two uncles who did it since the 80s. Mm-hmm. And it's strange to hear them talk about it. Because there was a time when people would on a Thursday night, you, there was not, there was literally nothing to do. They were like, "What do I do? Do I sit down and watch? Like nothing's on TV this evening, and there's only, you know, three channels, four channels, or I'm gonna pay for cable." But even then, it's like there's barely anything on. Mm-hmm. Or I'm gonna go to a movie, or I could just go see this comedian who I've never heard of, but it's comedy and it's different and it's down the street. And so people would be happy to go pay $5 and pay that to a comic to go do your thing. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine that world now because it feels like there's just no, there's so much to to grab people's attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's a saturated market. That's for sure. And I mean, in Chicago specifically, I think it's hard to, just as someone who produces shows, it's hard to make your show seem more interesting or more worth going to than the on a Thursday night there's 17 different stand-up comedy shows on top of improv shows and anything that's happening in the bigger theaters and famous people that come into town and then all the concerts that are happening and all of the there's so much that you can go and do yeah yeah. that you have to like find your the one thing a hook or something yeah that to get people to start being interested in what you're doing yeah and it's it's interesting to me because like there are people who i've known for years in the city like the this crossfit group that i've i'm going to the same crossfit gym for like four years mm-hmm. and uh n- literally for the first time about a month and some change ago a group of them came out to see me do a show mm. even though i've been they, i mean everybody there is aware that i do this and i share information on like the boards and stuff not one person has ever come out mm-hmm. and it was super weird because they finally were like, oh, that, hey, that was, you were like, fun. that was actually funny. And you're like, yeah, fucking, I've been doing this for four years. Oh, like, yeah. it, it almost doesn't even make any sense to like, I don't know what they imagined they would be getting into. I can't, I hate when my friends come and watch me, actually. Do you not, you don't like it? I hate it. Because my friends, I think, I don't know if it's the type of friends that I have or what, but I think a lot of times if you have a friend come, they're watching you like they're watching you do anything else like they're not thinking about laughing or enjoying or like do you know what i mean yeah they i think can't, that they'll laugh at all the other comics and then i get up there and they're like studying what me. yeah yeah and th- i think it's strange to them because i i don't experience this necessarily so friends it depends on what you mean by friend because if i have really good friends they've seen me do comedy before it doesn't matter if i have acquaintances meaning these are people who i know in my life from somewhere but I'm not like really friends with them. We, oh, they'll laugh. Yeah, they'll come out and it's just, they're like kind of normal audience members slash will like to support you because they're excited that you are doing something or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's this weird kind of space in between and my family falls into that space where like they don't ever really... I have cousins who, you know, been doing stand-up comedy 16 years, did stand-up comedy a mile from their house for, for you know, months mm-hmm. and they never have come and seen me do it. Eventually, they'll come out to see a show. That's weird for me. 
because it's like they've known for a decade mm. and like you know any show could go any way oh god yes so it's like bizarre because like if I come out, if I get on stage and then I bomb, then they're like, what the fuck has he been doing with his life? <laughs> oh my God. My one friend, my one of my best friends, uh, every time she comes to a show, I bomb. And I'm like, <laughs> you have to know that I'm not always bombing. Like, I don't know. I can't convince you, but I'm not always, they wouldn't keep booking me if I was yeah. always bombing. I wouldn't be working with Cameron Esposito. you're not allowed to come anymore. <laughs> you're the bad juju that's bringing this bomb. <laughs> that's the karma. I'll send you a YouTube clip. Um, Let me ask you this, not to radically shift gears, but have you been having family members message you about like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Oh, yeah. And they were like, I was ahead of it though. I had already finished it before they started messaging me. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I liked it. I like parts. I love parts of it. I hate parts of it, mm-hmm. and I like it. I think that the woman who plays the main character is. I would watch her in anything, do anything. Oh, she's very yeah. She's super good. She's really good and uh, does a great job in that show. I just feel so weird about that fucking show though, because like she gets up and has this like stream of consciousness doesn't have any punchlines really like doesn't really have jokes people in the crowd are laughing and you're like in the 1950s this might have been really funny mm-hmm. but like i can't imagine this working at all in like any show that i go to yeah like so it's kind of weird and then i have like family members message me and they're like is this what stand-up is really like and i'm like i don't know what to tell you there's a microphone and a person in front of a light that's true oh no she doesn't bomb nearly enough <laughs> and she's doing exactly what i said that bothers me that open micers sometimes do where they get up and it's like you haven't written a joke. Yeah. But I think for, I think it is uh, telling about the time because like that was much more the style back then. I think that it is it also has to do with her being women didn't talk like that. Yeah. So if for her to get up and say anything like dirty or bad or swear or anything is why they were laughing. Yeah. Did they not? I no. mean, I don't know uh, because I've never, I was not around in the fifties. I mean, I'm sure they did, but not into a microphone. Yeah, yeah. it was like a, not the time. Well, when did, uh, when did Joan Rivers start doing stand up? Mrs. Maisel is based on Joan Rivers's life. Yeah, and that's so around that time. Around that time, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a that woman's amazing. Yeah, she's Rest a trailblazer. <laughs> um. I, anyway, I just say bring that up only because I've had so many throughout the holidays family members who are talking to me about that show, and I'm like, it's a good show. It's I don't think it relates to the world of stand-up comedy that I occupy. Do you? What's I? That's the only one I watch. I don't watch Crash. Is it Crashing? I haven't Pete seen that. Holmes yeah, Pete is, Holmes is one I haven't seen that one. I mean, or the other the, one on. Um, yeah, about New York comedy seller. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Why would I want to watch? I know, right? <laughs> I'm going to go to a mic and I'm going to go to a show and then I'm going to go home and watch more on TV. No, thank you. <laughs> At least Mrs. Maisel has like a story. Yeah, it's right. She's got, just... yeah, and there's interesting characters on the show. You saw season two. I'm just, don't spoil it. Oh, man. I'm not all the way through it. It's very interesting because I've done, the only thing, you've started it though. Mm-hmm. She does stand-up comedy in Paris. Yes. For, and that, that that one was like, that was the one that got my whole family to message me because I did that. And they were like, I moved out to France and did stand-up comedy for like a summer. And they were like, is it, was it really like this? And I'm like, no, yeah, of course. I get up in front of someone and then someone stands in front of the straight stage and translates perfectly out of the things that I'm saying to an audience that doesn't understand me at all. That bothered me. Yeah, capturing. As an interpreter. 
oh yeah capturing all of the nuance of my having yeah. done stand-up in english and french i'm like there's no fucking way this is like just no way that doesn't work like that Mm-mm. i love that that <laughs> the interpreter part That's of you the part, got yes, that me. i was like <laughs> um <laughs> there are things that would not translate perfectly she would definitely need more time i don't know maybe simultaneous interpretation would not be the way to go when it comes to comedy uh she definitely should have given her a script beforehand all my theory of interpreting came back into my head that's a college degree paying off. <laughs> paying <laughs> is the wrong word. Uh, how many shows are you running now? You got Tuxedo Cat. So I have Tuxedo Cat every second and fourth Thursday at Beauty Bar. Yeah, I... that was that's the one that I'm like, man, Leah's just doing a ton of shit. Yes. Because that one is always on yes. uh, Facebook, it looks like. Thanks to me. <sighs> <laughs> I do the PR. I do the promoting. And then uh, I was doing the chill as fuck show. I'm not doing that anymore. At, uh, oh, that's City right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave that up. It's every single Saturday night. It was too much for me. But then I took on, I just started, uh, I was welcomed on as a producer of Strip Joker, which we are starting the season again. January 13th is our first show at Hamburger Mary's Attic. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And is that it? Do I produce anything else? <laughs> I think that's it. I don't know. I was supposed to start doing something else and I said no. You get you do a lot of uh, a lot of show other shows outside of that though. Lincoln Lodge, I think a bunch. Oh, I've performed on it. I don't know if I'd say a bunch. Keep booking me please, Lincoln Lodge. Uh I just do whatever whoever asks, I say yes, thank you. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's something interfering with something else like my sleep <laughs> uh god I, I seriously feel like i'm forgetting something no that's it i produced two shows yeah <laughs> god. that's it yeah yeah okay yeah all right great good Sounds job good thank you uh i think we're probably gonna wrap on time man we're at uh yeah just about an hour it was a lot. Covered a lot of topics. Went yeah. to some dark spaces. We, I always Walked do. away from them. And I do that too. <laughs> I'm a commitment phobe. <laughs> no, I don't want a house. <laughs> uh, you, for, for being a commitment phobe, being committed to comedy this long feels like a pretty good... Oh, of course, because that's an abusive relationship. <laughs> it's easy to stay committed to something that treats you bad and then good and then bad and then good. Yeah, it's just a yo-yo of a... <laughs> Slaps you down and brings you right back up. It's so weird, man. It's it's. Uh, but I mean, like, do you do you? What's the longest you've been away from doing comedy since you've been doing comedy? Uh, you mean like not been booked on a show and or... like not gone on stage or done anything? Oh, I think it's hard to think. I mean, when I first started doing it, it was like I would stop doing it for like a week or something. But now I think this December is the slowest it's been and I haven't been doing mics or anything. And there was like a two week period where I didn't do anything, didn't do anything. It's weird, right? It was kind of a nice break. And to be honest, are you serious? Well, for how busy you are, I could imagine that's the case. Yes. By the end of the two weeks, though, I was like, there was that moment of just like, oh, my God, I'm not putting in enough work. I'm not doing I'm not doing the work. I I just miss being I just miss being in front of an audience. 
Like what, know, whether yeah. or not it's any work, I just miss being in front of an audience and having that. There's an immediacy to it that you mm-hmm. can't get anywhere else. That's true. And there's like a there's a kind of obsession with I I don't know if this is actually this would be interesting to talk about before we finish this podcast up. Mm-hmm. But there, I was just thinking about this recently because there's been a pattern in my life of of wanting to just was doing some reflection and like journaling and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's been a pattern in my life of wanting to get into situations in which there's been an immediacy of like an undeniable like this is the way the world is right now kind of thing. Like I did this it's a long story about it this like modern men's initiation ritual which presents you with a lot of like no here's how you really are kind of like shit that was mm-hmm. pretty pretty kind of scary to you know have to deal with uh, i used to do mixed martial arts where i would get in a cage and fight people uh not people a person you know what i mean but yeah. you get the idea and then comedy is like very similar where like you get you get on a stage and they're gonna laugh or not laugh and there's no bullshitting around mm-hmm. like you can't you know, it's you're either funny or you're not funny. And, you know, any crowd can go any kind of way. But like there's a part of that immediacy that feels very like r- real. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I it's I guess I'm putting this out there just to hear what your thoughts are on it. Like, oh, yeah, I feel the same way for sure. I think that that is why performance wise, I was drawn to do stand up over anything else because it's that it's the no bullshit. It's the. For me, it's the, it's the knowing. It's the knowing how people feel about you, because you could get up and be in a band and sing, and like, how are you gonna know if people think that you suck? Yeah, they'll still clap. <laughs> no, there's no wiggle room. It's not interpretive dance. Right. Like, it's not, or even just like I could get up and be in theater and do a monologue or something, and I could read a review, but I don't know how every person in the audience feels. But when you're doing stand up, you look out and you could see. Yeah. How they feel. And you can feel it. And even if they hate me, I'm just like, well, it's that instant knowing that I really like. Mm, mm. And I love being hated. Yeah, no, you don't, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much as it should. I That's something I got to work on is that I double down. If someone's like getting all angry about my stand up, you're supposed to be able to turn it around and like bring them in and engage them. And instead, I'm just like, yeah, fuck you, dude. You don't like it. I'm going to dig even deeper. Something I appreciate. I actually can. I feel that from you. Uh, You have like a there's a there's a there's a part of you that that there's like an edge to. And it's something that I actually really appreciate about you. Yes. Adam Burke described it as mean. Yeah. (laughs) He said I'm mean. Yeah. Yeah. Deep down. I know. (laughs) Down deep. I'm mean. It's it's funny, Lee, because it's like you're a very I've only ever known you to be a very nice person, meaning like I've you've I've never been at the receiving end of that kind of, of the mean of that of that kind of barb mm-hmm. um but there's a part of me that's almost like oh she would fucking cu- cut somebody oh like, yeah <laughs> oh yes i mean i was just talking to my therapist about this i had an incident in this is off the rails but i had an incident in dc <laughs> where a man was talking to me and my friend and he wouldn't leave us alone and i was like being i was like not being nice at all because i want to give off the vibe of like i'm not interested i don't yeah. want you to get confused about this at yeah all. yeah and it, he was being so aggressive and so terrible that I really laid into him, screamed at him in like a very big way. And he turned around and he goes, are you done? And I was like, oh no, why do you make me do this? Like I do this professionally. <laughs> Don't heckle me. Don't ask me if I'm done. Now I have to destroy you. <laughs> I literally was like, Don't. I was like, walk away. <laughs> oh man. Let me send him home in a body bag. Yeah. He walked away very sad. 
Well, good. Fuck him. I know. Uh, there was a, I was so mean that I thought, this guy's going to punch me. I talked to, I talked to Gloria. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. Uh, I know. I was like, you better get ready to duck. I was should, like, mm, you should it. take, you should probably take some like. I, after that, I literally said to, I turned to my friend and I was like, I got to start taking self-defense classes if I'm going to pop off at people. like Yeah, that's good though. Uh, I hope I'm around. Uh, first of all, I hope that something like that never happens again. Were it ever to, mm-hmm. I hope I'm around to see it. To watch the <laughs> yeah. verbal abuse. Yeah. I just have been talking to my girlfriend about this lately because Gloria is lovely and she's very nice Mm -hmm. and she does not say mean things to anybody even when maybe she needs to Mm -hmm. and uh, it's very funny because I'm like look you my philosophy is you did that guy a favor he should feel like a piece of shit and if he feels terrible and goes home and cries and feels horrible on the inside Mm -hmm. maybe that's an opportunity for him to reevaluate the choices he's making right and I feel like that's good. That's the immediacy. That's like a, if I lower, if I'm in a, you know, if I'm in a cage fight and I lower my left hand and I get punched on the right side of the, or, or pardon me, the left side of my face by somebody's right hook and I get knocked out, that's the last time I'm going to do that. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe I learn from my choices. I feel like in a strange way you do somebody a favor when you do that to them. I mean, yes, I would hope so. I hope he doesn't just go home and like writes me off as being an asshole, which he could very well do. But I think uh, it's sad because then I feel I feel bad. I don't feel good doing that to somebody. No, I mean, why would you? Once the red goes away that's in my eyeballs, like once I the curtain falls back down, I'm just like, oh, I was really mean to that person. And then I feel bad. I don't want to have to do that. Yeah. So please just don't do that, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In conclusion, please don't talk to Leave me. Leave Lee alone. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> Leave Lee alone. Leave me alone. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, I'll leave you alone for the rest of the evening. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, where can somebody get at you? Um, you can Nowhere, follow- actually. Yeah. We just talked. What did I just say? <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at witch underscore wolf, like Virginia Wolf, W-O-O-L-F. Uh, I'm on Facebook with the name that's probably going to be added to this title, I assume. Yep. So to spell that out. Uh, and you can come see me at Tuxedo Cat Comedy at Beauty Bar every second and fourth Thursday of the month. All right. Thanks, Lee. Thank you.